0: Hi everyone, my name is Ishan, and this is the Build Your Talent Stack podcast. I started my career feeling like I needed to fit in, and now I shape my own career opportunities. And together with the guests I feature on this podcast, we share how we challenge the status quo in how we learn, connect with an aligned tribe who gets us, and shape our own jobs. And in many cases, these are jobs that didn't exist before. Get ready to be inspired to explore creative ways to learn, future-proof your talent stack and forge your own path in the future of work in a way that brings out your personality and your zone of genius. Hi everyone, it's Ishan here. Have you ever wondered how senior leaders build their careers in jobs that didn't exist until recently? How do they write their own job descriptions? How do they learn the skills needed to build credibility for their role? How do they communicate the value they deliver? We'll be diving into these topics with our guest Danilo Magari, who is one of the world's most respected executives on the topics of automation and artificial intelligence. Danilo has run some of the world's largest programs in this space and these have been for the world's biggest and most respected companies. He is an international keynote speaker and regarded by many as a thought leader, Danilo is also published in several highly respected publications such as Bloomberg and The Times. In this episode, Danilo shares a senior leader's perspective on how he has evolved his career journey and talent stack in the area of automation and artificial intelligence to help people be more human in the future of work. Whether or not you're considering a career in this space or if you're planning your next career pivot, what resonated with me from my chat with Danilo today is that If you are passionate about making a change and are passionate about your craft, nothing else matters, to quote Danilo. Find a way to get involved, build your learning playlist and be curious about getting under the hood. Find out how it all really works. Enjoy the episode. Hi Danilo, welcome to the show. Could you introduce yourself and tell us about the work that you do?
1: Sure. Uh, My name is Danilo McGarry. Um, I've been now for over 15 years in the innovation space. You know, the, the mad lab space. Um, The space where, you know, perhaps even 10 years ago, a lot of people would think is, uh, you know, the place where people play and nothing really happens. Nothing really impacts the world. Uh, And boy, has that kind of proven a lot of people wrong. So I've been doing that for 15 years of my life. I've done it for some pretty big companies like uh, Motorola, JP Morgan, Citigroup, United Health Group, um, uh, etc. And most recently, and I would say in the last 8 to 10 years, I've concentrated around the, the areas and topics of automation and artificial intelligence. Uh, which again, for a lot of people, is even more wacky uh, than, than everything else, um, and it's you know nothing like you know Hollywood killer robot or anything like that. It's a lot more uh, friendly than that, um, and that's what I've been doing uh, for for the last decade. Um, it's something that I love. Uh, it's something that's really helped the companies that I've you know been part of. And it's something that I think that, uh, you know, in the last three to four years has really opened up a lot of people's minds and hearts to, you know, what's the new possible, what's the new future of work.
0: You've covered so much in your um, career. How would you describe your talent stack? And how do you think your experiences and your skills have got to where you are now?
1: I think... You know, a lot of people ask me this, but I, you know, I, I, I don't have a crystal ball. I, I didn't wake up uh, uh, when I started my my career and think, "Gosh, I'm gonna go into artificial intelligence because that's the future." Um, that would have been very visionary on my part. Uh, I did see that, but it was about ten years ago, not not 15, 16 years ago. Um, so it really was something that I stumbled upon. Uh, I've always been very frustrated. Uh, at the places that I've worked the companies I've been involved with of how inefficient things are you know you're you're there you know spending 10 12 hours or more of your time every day and I just I just it was always frustrating to me that I would see people around me they're okay with the fact that they're copying and pasting things and they are running these mind-boggling reconciliations and these very manual tasks. So I, I just kind of thought to myself, God, you know, only if I could work smarter. And that's how it got my, my mindset going in terms of, you know, how could I do this better? And then I started doing it myself, you know, DIY tools using Excel macros, etc. cetera. And I thought, this is not good enough. It's not robust enough. It breaks too often. Let's try something else. And then very quickly I kind of stumbled upon uh, automation, automation. Uh, out you know, out the box, you know, something that you could buy online, and things that you can end up, end up building yourself, and that really opened my mind to the possibilities of artificial intelligence. So, you know, my 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 talent stack, you know, has really come from a inherent nature of mine, the inherent nature of wanting to to do things better, of questioning why things are done, of not being afraid you know, to, to you know, challenge the status quo. Um, I've always been very much an outside-the-box thinker. So these are very kind of person personal traits that I've held. And because they're so strong, it's driven me to towards the direction of just being very hungry to learn things, especially in those areas. Um, and then I started doing courses, you know. I started just, um, you know, educating myself. So you know talent, I think is a very important thing, especially natural talent, but you know it does need to be backed up with with you know education with real life experiences um, you know talent on its own is just a it's a beautiful thing, but it's it's you can't harness and perfect it and sharpen it, make it laser focus unless you. Uh, combine it with education and real life experience especially especially real life experience I would say.
0: So Danilo what would you say is your signature strength and how do you use that to extract value in terms of what you deliver?
1: I think especially in what I do and what I'm involved in which is automation and AI and innovation um, you know naturally things can go wrong um, and there's been a lot of Cases in history where people have started these programs or companies have started these programs and it's turned out to be a bit of a horror story. Uh, thankfully, I'm now in my fourth major program and that hasn't happened. Um, and I think it won't happen uh, for a number of reasons. One is I truly understand the technology. You know, I, I, I don't just come in as a, as a manager or as a leader. Uh, I know how to code myself, Um, I I lifted up, you know, the the, the hood cover, and I I tried to learn it myself. And then based on that, I then came up with certain methodologies that I've been trying over the last decade. Um, And as things have gone wrong, you know, I've always been very open to uh, feedback, to constructive criticism, um i think it's 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 if you do that in life you end up really perfecting your art uh perfecting your craft right so you know, by combining these things the, the curiosity to understand how things really work you know being that person that really questions status quo like i mentioned before um having methodologies that i've tweaked over time and i think you know probably the greatest thing of of all of that is passion you know the passion to want to change the world to make my mark on the world you know what was i've always asked myself you know what is it that i'm going to do to make the world a better place what is it that i want to be remembered for when i die and it's it's not automation only (laughs) i want to be remembered for a number of things but um so yeah i wanted to be good at something and that's what drove me to really get good at what i do um you know i think today a few different publications have, have said that I, I do hold the, the record in the world at the moment for a number of robots and the amount of money that I've created or saved by using robots. Um, but, you know, that's not official. So it's just hearsay. But it all, it all boils down to passion. And passion has driven me to perfect a certain methodology that I follow and a certain style and approach. And that has allowed me to understand things better than most. And that's why I think it's really lowered the risk of anything that I do in this space going wrong. Um, and then it's allowed me to, to have a performance that's different to other people. Um, not to say that I get things you know, right all the time. I do make errors. And I think the greatest lessons in life are errors. But thankfully they have been errors at a small scale that haven't caused, you know, any projects, companies or partnerships I've been in, uh, you know, to have any detrimental effects. So I learn quickly and I, I adapt. I think these are some of the key talents or ingredients that I have that has really helped me.
0: I'm curious to know about your methodology. Can you describe a little bit about what that involves?
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's the million dollar question. If I, if I tell you, I'll have to kill you. Uh, I'm sorry about <laughs> that. Um, just <laughs> kidding. Um, really it's, um, you know, with anything that you build, which is new, uh, which is so revolutionary, like a robot, um, you have to follow certain methodologies, which are in and around the same kind of thing you would use when you're building a new system. You know, you'd have to understand what are the current pain points people are having and why do they come to you for a robot in the first place? As soon as you get that, you need to then make sure from day one that it's a good idea to pursue because not all great ideas are profitable. Not all great ideas uh, end up helping the company. And it's it's quite a shame sometimes you hear some great ideas, some great things people ha- they want to automate, but then when you look at it on, the, on paper from a business point of view, it doesn't make sense. So it's the first thing you should do. It's a great filter to add. Uh, the way you capture... Um, you know, pain points, requirements—that's really important as well. You know, five years ago, this used to be done manually. People were drawing up Visio basic diagrams, uh, which in itself is an art. <laughs> um, so that has advanced in the last couple of years. Uh, thankfully, have helped a lot of technology vendors build you know, process recording tools uh, and very and very good screen capturing tools. That really capture what's going on. And uh, that's something that catches out most people still today. Uh, they get people who don't understand the process to try to draw a process together. And then, you know, later on find out as soon as a robot's gonna go into production that it's littered with change requests and issues and bugs. You know, no wonder, because you've had somebody who doesn't understand the process capture it. So um, that's something I've learned. Then once you've captured it properly in a very scientific form, and you've you've done it multiple times to see if there's any variations, and it makes business sense, um, you know the cost benefit analysis stacks up the CBA as they call it. Um, then go into building it, and the people you hire are extremely important in automation. Again, there has to be people who are tried and tested, who have done this numerous times, who have done different kinds of robots. Um, it's very hard to get someone. Who's never done this before to build a robot from scratch? Even if they are an experienced developer, um, and that's something a lot of very experienced developers get annoyed at me for saying, uh, because they think, "Well, I've, I've been developing for 20 years. You know, automation is not really a developer's tool. It's drag and drop code. You know, this should be easy." Um, but you know, they quickly learn um, that it's not that easy, and they need to be trained in automation to do things well. Then the, after you get a good automation developer and you build that robot, then you gotta go through uh, certain cycles of building, uh, testing, and doing demos. You know, I, I've always believed that visually, it's a lot more interesting than and seeing something than just getting a report. So if you're building something for someone show them how it visually looks, you know, get the user who requested that robot to look at the, what the robot is doing and really scrutinize you know, if the requirements have been understood correctly. Once that carries through a few cycles and the bot is you know, complete, then going through a very rigorous UAT cycle, you know, user acceptance testing, uh, getting the user to work with the robot, that goes through a number of cycles and, and a very limited volume uh, of cases needs to go through that robot, but it needs to be a select number of cases that covers all the different scenarios a robot will do uh, in its work time in that process. Once that's approved and it's met certain KPIs, then you go into controlled production, which is a ramp-up of you know a limited amount of volume that then very quickly over a number of weeks or months, if it's an extremely complicated uh, robot, then goes into full production. Um, and you've got to allow some time there, even though it's been probably months in the making, you, you need to allow some time for the team who is going to be working with that robot who's going to have that kind of very special new member of team joining them to adapt themselves because that robot is probably doing something that they used to do before. So, I mean, in a nutshell, in a very high-level summary, that's a methodology that I follow. Um, but really, you know, the trick of it all is the people involved in the project, the kind of project discipline that you 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 adhere to, and the tools that you use, the tools are very important as well.
0: What I like about your methodology is that, um, especially that step where you're um, using process recording tools so that you're not looking for uh, things that... Y- you assume the problem, and that might actually influence what your findings are, which then have a detrimental inf- uh, impact on the um, benefit realisation. So, um, so I thought that was very interesting, and um, and and I like how you're blending. It's a blended approach in terms of identifying the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and also using uh, both judgment as well as a fact-based, data-driven decision making as well, and not uh, so it's the best of both worlds. So thank thank you for sharing that. Um, now these roles didn't exist that long ago in terms of um, automation, and uh, I know many of my colleagues have also made sideways moves into automation um, more recently as well. So. Have you ever had to write your own job description, given that you've been in this space for some time? And how did you go about it? So I'm curious to know, how does one go about crafting their own role when it's relatively new and especially being in a senior role? How do you articulate the value that it'll, be, it'll deliver and how you will do that?
1: It it is very tricky indeed. Um, again, for a number of reasons, a lot of people think it's science fiction, and sometimes people listen to horror stories. So, it has been very tricky. Um, I really started uh, in the space of you know productivity and you know process improvement, lean, six sigma. You know all these buzzwords from the early two thousands, which still exist today, um, which are good things to and good methodologies to adopt. And to be honest with you, it was really about being bold. You know, every couple of months I'd be knocking on the door of uh, of a very senior person in the company and saying, hey, I want to try this. And at first they were kind of like, okay, okay, we'll talk about this next year. You know, this year is kind of busy. And eventually after pushing so many times, I mean, so persistent and so convincing, uh, they would let me try. And, after the, you know, and then I would always make sure there was a huge success. Otherwise, they would never let me try something new again, right? So... It's all about results uh, at the end of the day. Then I, I would try something new. Then I, it works. Then I try something else, and it works. And it's always around productivity and automation, etc. So eventually, after doing so much of automation and not being so much in the kind of lean six sigma space, it became a lot bigger than that. Then I started going back to you know my seniors and saying, "Hey, uh, this is not just I'm not just a business analyst here. I am a I'm now doing automation. I'm now doing, you know, restructuring in the company. I'm now functionalizing things in the company. This is a lot bigger than, than what my job title says. And then, okay, what's your job title then? Well, I want to be head of automation. Well, I want to be head of innovation. Well, what does that mean, Danilo? You know, that doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, how can we, okay, let <laughs> me write it for you. And I would always, I think in most of the programs I've been in, I've written my own job description. And... As the topic has become more well-known, obviously, you know, I have been hired into roles to be head of automation. But then a lot of people think that, you know, the automation department or heads of automation, all they do is build robots. But again, they start realizing that it it becomes a lot bigger than that very quickly as well. You know, the company I'm in now, you know, automation is uh, at the supervisory board level. Uh, In Citigroup, it was at uh, the board level. Uh, You know, so these are pretty important things. You know, boards can only look at so many items per year. So then your job description changes again because you end up becoming a major stakeholder in pretty much every technology and structural change the company goes through. Um, So then that changes your job description further. Um, So I think, yeah, a lot of people underestimate the power or the knowledge that a head of automation has or the automation team itself. And then very quickly, they realize they they, they're very useful people to have on a number of initiatives. So then that changes the job description even further.
0: And how do you communicate value along the way? So um, the role's not yet widely understood and things are evolving quickly. Um, Communicating value is a common theme that I'm seeing across many different roles that are emerging and it's a skill that people really struggle, so how, what's your approach to communicating value?
1: Uh, you know, luckily, I, and to the surprise of many people, you know, when I did my first university degree, it was in business management. It wasn't in anything technical, it wasn't in computer science. Um, and you know, since I was the age of 15 years old, I've, I've had companies that I've created and sold Um, I've had the experience of speaking to investors. I know how to value companies, etc. So I've always been very entrepreneurial. I've always thought about the bottom line. I've always thought about, you know, the owners of companies. How would they think of something? You know, department owners, budget owners, etc. So whenever I I talk about a new project or a new initiative, I always present it as a business case. I always present it as if I'm starting a new business or as if I'm a startup pitching to an investor. And really, it comes down to, you know, are you creating any new IP? Are you helping the company make any new, U- have a new U- USP? Is that making the company more competitive? And end of the day, what does that translate to in dollar, euro, pound form, right? It's really about the money end of the day, because no one's going to give you money unless you can prove to them that you're going to come out with a larger number than what they gave you in the beginning. So I present, I present it always as a cost-benefit analysis. I present it always as if it was an investment pitch opportunity. Um, and one thing that I do as well over time is, I think which is very important people should try uh, if they haven't already, is when you have a program, when you have a project that's so groundbreaking of course you're very passionate about it whenever after a while when you keep talking about it people are going to go yeah, yeah, yeah yeah there he goes that crazy automation guy again you know these artificial intelligent people of course they're going to be saying good things about their own project so it's very important once you got people going on that journey with you and they see the power of this technology that you get them to evangelize the great work that you're doing you get them to tell other people, you know, how useful these robots and these automations and artificial intelligence solutions have been in making their day-to-day life more interesting and helping them become more human. Because really, I don't think it's very human for a person to be doing robotic tasks, right? So the stories that I've seen because of automation and things that you know my team and I have created, um, you know, I, I have seen people in tears. Because they have then seen a, the effect a robot is having on their day-to-day life. I mean, it's it's even that impactful. And people who have never been involved in an automation project think that's just crazy. Um, but, you know, try doing the same task every day, thousands of times a week or a month. Um, and then, you know, literally going home and questioning your existence. You know, is this what I w- was put on earth for? for? Copying and pasting these things and comparing these two things together, you know. Work has a huge effect on people's lives. And I I think a lot of management and a lot of people don't realize that until they actually sit down and ask that very question, you know, am I doing something that's fulfilling in my life? And automation really helps in that space.
0: So what's your advice for someone who's working in your team who might be more technical and they're having um, difficulty translating the business value or even communicating the uh, people impacts or considering that in terms of their solution. What's your advice for someone who's in, um, in a developing role?
1: I think um, the people that I hire, you know, I, I just want to hire really good people that just are very passionate about making a change in the world and they're passionate about their craft you know, the rest doesn't really matter. Uh, if you don't have people skills, it's fine. You can learn all these things. Um learning passion is difficult. You gotta you gotta really touch a, a nerve string there for it to get going. Um but as long as they have passion, I think you can do anything in life. So if I see that someone on my team, you know, is not really, you know, engaging with people, uh they're not really you know, you showing, you know, the amount of, you know, the great work that they're delivering you know, I I coach them, you know, I I love coaching people, Uh, I love, you know, showing people, you know, potentially better ways of doing things. Um, I I do that as a really an absent, um, you know, professor, you know, I I don't want to ever make people do things. So by doing that, I think I'm also a very outgoing, sociable person. Uh, I love talking to people. Again, you know, my if you look at the 30,000 feet view, why am I doing this? I'm doing this so that I can help people become more human again. So that's a, that's a very soft people skills approach to, you know, what's my end goal here? It's to help people become better humans. Um, so by having that message and having that vision, I think it drives my team to think always about how am I helping people? How is this driving value? You know, how is this making someone's life better? And then that just naturally translates into the way that they interact with people. If they, but if they're not getting there, you know, I'll coach them through it. You know, we have. A, I always build very tight teams around me. Um, you know, I build teams which are not dependent on me. They think for themselves. Just teams which are very open and honest, and teams that really invite feedback. You know, teams which are not afraid. They don't have ego problems. You know, they're okay with people telling them how to do things better. Um, so it's just the kind of people that I hire, maybe. Um, you know they, they they easily fall into that um, place where they they're able to communicate. They're able to show people, you know the impact of this really great technology.
0: I'd like to touch on your um, analogy of you know presenting the business case like a pitch deck uh, where there's a clear cost benefit analysis. I'm curious to know whether as part of that pitch, whether there's the um, people side of the impacts being considered in that um, in value to conversation as well. So articulating, well, if we free them up from these tasks, what is the opportunity for them to be, um, you know, leverage different aspects of their skill set, more human uh, opportunities, for example. Is that part of the, the equation in the pitch?
1: Oh, always, yeah. Um, so I, I always go for the tangible benefits, you know, real savings you know creating a new product can that create revenue for the company you know can we acquire new clients Uh, can we get more business you know I tried to size that up uh, pretty accurately scientifically in a way that it's very credible and respectable Um, but of course you know with something like automation there's all the intangibles and sadly and I do mean sadly you know it does depend who you speak to sometimes you talk to uh, people who are just very numbers focused and literally they go yeah 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 yeah. intangibles okay let's just forget about that for now because you can't measure it so you know don't talk about it um, but you know some of the some of the greatest things in life uh, are intangible you can't measure you know how can you measure let's say the love that someone gives you how does that make your life better how does that you know make you a better person okay how, how do you measure that you know you can't measure some of the greatest things in life um so it takes time i think it's about building credibility um you know you first of all get people understanding that you know you can hit tangible targets you know these tangible numbers you predicted they are coming true or they're even better than what you have been predicting uh, or forecasting and then as people start to understand it better, you know, they, they open up their minds, they open up their hearts, and they start listening to the intangible benefits more. And I've, I've, I've seen that over, you know, the interactions, um, you know, that once you worked with someone over a couple of years on this stuff, they almost start not listening to the tangible benefits anymore. They start looking at the intangibles more because they finally get it that it's the intangible stuff that's actually where the real value is. And that's where they start looking and trying to understand more of after they appreciate the the art of automating things. So it takes time, and it, it depends on the people you interact with, but slowly the intangibles become more important than the tangibles.
0: Thanks, Danilo. I'm glad you mentioned learning passion because clearly you have a huge passion uh, as uh, part of this uh, interview preparation I was checking out your LinkedIn and one of the things I just couldn't help noticing was how much you're investing into your learning can you tell us your thought process for how you decide you know what you want to sign up for because you've signed up for quite a few <laughs> things on the go can you share with us some of the uh, yeah? what's your thought process for curating your learning process, your learning playlist?
1: You know, one, one thing that I, I try to, you know, instill in my friends and my family is that life is short. And, you know, if you look at any smart person out there, when you ask them, what's the most valuable thing you have? And they're always going to say time because you can't buy time. You can't buy time. So you have to make sure you invest it wisely. and, to me you know when i go for a run uh when i'm in a long car journey i always listen to a podcast or i listen to an interview um obviously i can't read so you know can't really be reading something but when these uh you know when google or uh apple finally release their their ar uh glasses i'll be buying those um <laughs> but time is valuable right that's the essence of it so You know, I don't really have social media accounts like, uh, you know, Instagram, Facebook. I think they're a complete waste of time, uh, quite frankly. You know, if I want to talk to a loved one or a friend, I'll call them or I'll see them. You know, again, that human interaction is so, so important. Um, And that leaves me with a lot of space. You know, there was a time in my life where I was flicking through social media. And one day I just asked myself the question. I thought, "Wow, how long am I spending on this stuff every day?" And you know, the average in the US, UK, there are different companies that quote different things, is about two and a half hours a day. People spend two and a half hours a day on social media and non-professional social media, so not LinkedIn, everything else. So that's insane. That's an insane amount of time. If you if you compound that over a year. You know, you're talking, uh, you know, weeks and weeks of something else that you could have been doing. So that's the way I look at things. And sometimes, you know, I start a course. Um, you know, I have started courses at Harvard, and Yale, and Oxford, etc., and it's way out of my depth. You know, um, these are courses for people that are working for NASA, they're working for SpaceX, um, they're building space programs. But still, you know, I, I don't always go with the intention of going to a course to get a certificate and complete it. Um, sometimes it's about just going through the process of being out of my depth and just seeing how I behave. You know, do I take that and try to, does that fuel my passion? It's a bit like a, a test. You know, if I'm really going to be truly great at something, I, I have to be able to talk to the smartest people in this space. Um, so, I have to push myself. I have to go and take the best courses out there. I have to speak to other people who are you know thought leaders in the space. I have to be at that table so that I can stay at the forefront it's I think it's my responsibility as one of the people who were the first to scale this technology to you know in large companies at scale um you know I need to be able to be responsible with that knowledge and power and you know by continuously learning so. I just literally do anything that I see that is in my space. I take it up and I start it. Um, I, I am pacing myself. I do three or four things at the same time. Um, you know, And I'm a curious person, like I said before. You know, My passion is in this space. So when I encounter a problem, sometimes I might take a course just because of one small roadblock that I faced that I didn't quite know how to behave or react in. So I'll look for a course in that space or I'll look for a podcast or I'll talk to an expert in that space. So, you know, all the learning that I do is not on my LinkedIn. There is plenty, plenty more. Um, And there's a lot of learning which is not stuff which is to do with, you know, universities and professional bodies. It's to do with just talking to people and on-the-job experience and learning. I think those are, you know, really valuable as well.
0: I really like that. You've, You've opened my mind about my reasons for enrolling into courses because I think part of me... I tend to only share what I plan to finish. Um, To your point, there are so many where I just went in just to learn one thing, but then I thought, well, who wants to know about that? So I don't put it or share it anywhere. Mm -hmm. And Whereas you're going, no, 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 I want to share (laughs) everything that I'm going through um, and uh, with a specific learning goal in mind. So I really like that example. Thank you for sharing that. Um, One other thing I'm very curious about also when I looked up your LinkedIn was um, side projects. Now, I like to use the analogy of a learning sandpit to describe a side project that lets you build practical experience in maybe an unrelated or sort of an adjacent area to add yet another dimension to your learning, but also build credibility at the same time. Can you share with us... You know what's going happening in the uh, side project um, in your world. So, what does your learning sandpit look like?
1: Sure. Um, again, I think you know experience is everything. Uh, like I mentioned before, um, you know a lot of I have a lot of collaborations with companies who are in the technology space. You know who want to build automation capabilities, uh, or uh, who provide it as a solution that people can buy and they come to me and they say oh, how can we make this product better you know we've been having feedback of x y and z we don't quite know how to deal with this you know what would you do if you were the product developer and you know i interact with them you know always as a just as a discussion basis nothing more than that and that takes us to very interesting places because you know i've been in discussions on a, a product which is to do with a chatbot and you know very realistic chatbot and we're talking about you know how to make it better and all of a sudden we are you know, thinking about you know the year 2030 and how how life is going to change. So it takes you to very you know interesting discussions. Um, I try to work with charities a lot. Uh, there've been charities uh, that have come to me and you know, oh, how do we use technology to stop human trafficking? You know, very interesting application of AI uh, using facial recognition and uh, and and movement tracking. Then there is, you know, this one thing that I really love doing is students, you know, students who are doing dissertations um, or PhDs in artificial intelligence uh, for all kinds of things, for combating global warming, uh, for um, improving health care and uh, elderly care. There's, it's so interesting, the different things that people come to me with. Um, so I always try to mentor, you know, if I if I can't spend too much time on something cuz I can't commit the time that it needs or it's a conflict of interest or I'm not allowed to um I always try to just give advice and to be a mentor. Uh if it's something that I'm really passionate about, it's going to do good for the world and you know, it's something that I'm able to do, um then I go in, you know, both feet in and I really get stuck in and involved. So I mean, I could go through a list of a hundred things, uh, you know, per month uh, that I I get involved in. I end up, you know, influencing in one way or another. Um, But again, it's, it's helped me kind of think about, you know, how AI in particular and, you know, things like OCR, which is the, you know, ability of bots to be able to see things and NLP, which is bots' abilities to interpret language, and, you know, having different types of chatbots and, you know, facial recognition and voice recognition, all of these things combined together, you know, how, how can you use it for anything other than just automating a company process? You know, can it make the world better? Can it help a charity? Can it help stop, you know, crime? Can it help make, you know, things more honest, more secure? Um, so I get involved in all these things, and I have done so for over a decade now, and I, I love it. I think it's it just... You know, and it's, it's funny because every other month I learn a new way of applying this technology that I never thought of. And I think about this 24-7. Um, so I, I love it when people come to me with ideas, you know, asking for help or for mentorship um, because it just it, may, it makes me a better professional. It makes me a better person. And it makes me understand the meaning of life better, too. So, um, it, again, it's, it stuff is a, it's much more profound than what most people like to give it credit to.
0: Yeah, meaning of life and how we can use technology to improve uh, everybody's well-being. So um, using AI to, um, uh, to stop human trafficking, that's very interesting. I'm going to look that up. Um, now, careers of the future. Uh, how can people prepare better for future jobs so that they stay relevant within the next five to ten years? What's your take on that?
1: Um, that's a complicated one, but, um, and it will, it won't happen overnight. Um, but you know, if you want, one great, I love Ted, you know, Ted talks. Um, if you look at a Ted talk done by Kai-Fu Lee, uh, he was uh, the head of Google for Asia for a while. And, uh, he's one of the, the leaders of AI in the world and he's a major power player in this space, especially in Asia. Um, he did a Ted talk and he basically broke it down how over time there's only going to be two kinds of jobs. Only two. You know, We have millions of jobs today. And it's going to be the, the two types of jobs are the people that make robots, the people that make automations, people who are in that space from a technical point of view. And the other people that will exist are people who help other humans. So you know and and it's a shame we don't have the time to talk about this and break it down into stages and years and how this will develop but within the next 20 or so years this is how it's going to look the future of work is you either make or are involved with artificial intelligence or you're helping people and and usually the people who are helping people are going to be using ai so uh, and why 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 is it there's only these two kinds of jobs Uh, It's because eventually, as AI gets better and general, you know, artificial intelligence becomes more prominent, more powerful, more reliable, you know, artificial intelligence is going to be, you know, looking for patents. It's going to be looking at making new drugs. It's going to be looking at how to improve, um, you know, road traffic systems better. It's going to be able to do this stuff by itself. We just have to ask the question and it will work it out for us. Eventually, it's going to get to that stage. And then it comes to the point of a human has to then make that, has to construct that in a safe way so that it can be used uh, in the open environment in real life. Um, So humans are not going to have to, you know, they're not going to be trying to solve uh, a lot of key problems by themselves, especially simple ones in the beginning. They're going to be really collaborating with AI. And then once the answer is found, they'll make it happen. They'll construct it. They'll build it. Then there are people who are just not technical, right? There are the artists. There are the people who are—they're more about, you know, having that human interaction. There are the salespeople, right? The people that like to talk to other people. Uh, they're not problem thinkers solvers, um, and the soft side of the soft skills are just more prominent in them. Um, and those are the people who are, you know, not going to be needing to copy and paste. They're not going to be people who are going to do a nine to five job that they hate. Uh, in order to get that paycheck to then go and work in a charity or to then go and help their, their grandmother, you know, they're going to be able to do that as a full time job now. Um, so, you know, we all know that the elderly population is getting bigger, you know, especially countries like Japan, etc. You know, that's only going to get better or worse, depending how you look at it. Um, as healthcare improves, as AI solves, you know, bigger problems. Um, So there's going to be an enormous elderly population for us to take care of. Um, So, you know, that's going to become a very big market. And it's going to be a market that we pay more attention to. We respect more. Um, I think, uh, you know, elderly care is something that we it's kind of put to the side. A lot of people, you know, very sadly just throw, you know, their mothers, fathers, grandfathers into, you know, old people's homes and just let them die you know i think that's going to change i hope that we're gonna end up respecting the elderly people a lot more than we do today um that's really it it's going to be in those two spaces um but that's like in 20 years from now so you know what i would say is my advice would be think about you know really sit down one day go home and sit down and think is my job making my life better or am i doing this for a paycheck and if you ask a fundamental question many times over a long period of time and discuss it with friends you know real friends discuss it and i think very quickly you will find that in most cases your job has nothing to do with the meaning of life it's just about you getting money to do something that you like doing which gives you meaning in life so it's like a middleman right and in anything that's great in life you don't need a middleman you can cut out you can cut out that middleman you can go straight to it um so just ask yourself that fundamental question, and you will find you will find the way. You know, uh, you will find the road that you need to go to to make your life more meaningful. Uh, and unfortunately, a lot of people get to that question once they've had a stroke or a heart attack. They or they reach, you know, uh, stress levels that are unmanageable, or they have depression. That's when people ask these fundamental questions. I think don't wait until you get to that point. You know, if you're healthy. Uh, or not just ask yourself that question and be honest with yourself and don't be afraid to make a change that's really the fundamental question and that will get people going on the right journey
0: i know uh, many people who are in the millennial in the baby boomer boomer generations they are finding themselves needing to reinvent themselves to adapt to the careers and. Maybe they're lacking confidence for various reasons about making the pivot. Do you have any takeaways for someone considering a pivot and what do you look for uh, when it comes to people with related skills but not necessarily have tackled AI or um, automation from a career history perspective? Because it's not that long, so you can't really expect people to have beyond a certain number of years of experience in this space. What do you suggest for someone in that baby boomer to millennial um, yeah. age bracket?
1: It's it's a very tough one. Um, I have, of course, I have a number of friends in that uh, age bracket. Uh, I work with people in that age bracket. And it all comes down to perspective and attitude. I think these are the two most important things in life, right? Uh, a lot of times when people get to, uh, you know, 40, 50 plus they have a certain sense of entitlement. You know, it's kind of like, you know, I've paid my taxes, I've done good in the world, uh, so you know, the world owes me. Um, you know, unfortunately, the world and nobody owes anything to nobody. And your life is your responsibility, no one else's. And as soon as you realize that, it's uncomfortable. It means that you're fending for yourself. Really, when you think about it, of course, there are friends and family, loved ones. But once you change your mindset, you have the right perspective. You have the right attitude on life, no matter what age you are. That's when you start living your life. So living your life, what does that mean? You know, if you still need to pay off a house or, you know, you still need to make money for whatever reason, you know, it's your choice if you make that switch or not. Uh, If you want to be working in the long term, you need to eventually make the switch into AI and automation. You can't do it unless you do
0: that. What might increase their chances of being successful in this switch? So let's say that they've, you know, ready to do it, but cutting through the market.
1: The the best way to get a, you know to increase your chances of anything is to get involved in it. You know, uh, that's what I say to a lot of people who have robophobia. You know, which is a fear of robots. <laughs> that actually is a real thing, by the way. Um, get stuck in it. You know, there's an automation team. Go and talk to them. Learn from them, ask them what courses you know do you need to do to learn this stuff better. Can you be a champion of their technology? Can you be can you shadow them, you know, for a while? I'm sure no company is going to reject you doing that if you're a good worker. Um, get involved in it, embrace it. You know, this change is coming. You know, AI, as coined by the World Economic Forum, is the fourth industrial revolution. Okay, there's only been three other industrial revolutions, this is the fourth one. It's not going away. It's going to completely transform the way we live and interact. So again, the realization that it's not going away will really help you. Um, And then once you do that and you realize that you need to make something out of your life, this thing is not going away. You know, if you can't beat them, join them kind of thing. You have to embrace it.
0: Thank you so much, Danilo. Now, where can people connect with you online
1: uh, best place to connect with me is know um, yeah, just through my website. Uh, there's a chatbot there that can greet you and uh, you know exchange uh, contact details. <laughs> of course, you know what would I be like if I didn't have a chatbot on my website? So danilomcgarry.com, uh, That's my personal website. And then there is uh, LinkedIn. If you're on LinkedIn, just drop me a message. Um, or you know if you're somebody who knows me already, you know my number by now. So. Uh, i i love I love talking to people, so you know don't be shy if there's anything you want to ask or we'll be in that space. you know I love discussing and learning.
0: Thanks so much now, I'm sure the listeners are curious. your accent
1: yeah, a lot of people ask me this too um it's um so I was born in Brazil in sao Paulo um i lived I've lived in the states I've lived in England for most of my life. That's where I got educated at first. I've also lived in the Middle East for quite some time, and I've also lived in Ireland for quite some time. And my family are uh, Brazilians-English. The Brazilian side come from Spanish and Dutch and Italian descendants. And the English (laughs) side is uh, mainly English, Irish, and Scottish descendants. So if you put all that into a blender, you get me, Danilo, and you get this weird accent
0: <laughs> and you managed to know all your history without even going through 23.me. <laughs> 20 What is it that website ancestry.com. Ancestry.com yeah. Um, no, I've uh, I've
1: always been curious about, you know, again, you know, sense of belonging, meaning of life, all these are things I've always asked since I was a little kid. So I've always used to ask my mom, you know, how was I made, mom, you know, where do I come from? Who are our ancestors? Um I think it's Fantastic, very interesting to know yeah. that it helps you understand your underlying nature. You know, it's, uh, it's an important thing to understand yourself first <laughs> before you try to understand yes. everything else.
0: Thank you so much, Daniel. This has been great. And thank you for reaching out all the way from London. Very sunny. I can see there <laughs> through the window. Oh, it is, yeah. um, thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you, Shem. Thank you very much. And I, I love your work. And I, I hope people you know, listen to, if it's not this episode, listen to other episodes. Uh, you you do some really great podcast sessions so uh, great job and please continue to do so it's a lot of people are listening to it you may not know but uh, a lot of people are gaining from it so well done on that space
0: thank you so much that's it for today's episode if you enjoyed this podcast it would mean so much to me if you would leave a review on itunes and let me know if this has helped you in any way in shaping your career goals I'd love to connect with you on LinkedIn and Instagram. You can find me at Build Your Talent Stack.